Good morning. It's uh, lovely to be with you today. As Jim mentioned, we live in Kirkintillich, so we haven't had to travel very far, and it's lovely to be able to join you this morning. Let's pray as we turn to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Help us this day to focus our attention on Him, especially now as we turn to our Bible passage for this morning. Lord God, open our eyes, for we want to see Jesus more clearly. Amen. The other morning, I was out for a walk along the canal in Kirkintillich, and uh, the canal itself I could see, but the rest of the scene was shrouded in mist. I couldn't actually see the fields or much further along the path. And sometimes, uh, you know, the mornings are like that and the mist is there, but the sun eventually burns its way through and it turns out to be a nice day. But to begin with, I couldn't really see clearly even where the sun was in the sky. Sometimes I think it feels a bit like that in spiritual life. There's much that obscures our view. It's difficult to see where God is. It's difficult to fix our spiritual eyes on Jesus, at least without some effort. But that's what I would like to help us do this morning, to fix our eyes on Jesus again. The writer of Hebrews tells us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus is the one that we focus on. We're to fix our eyes on Him as we live our Christian life. But sometimes it's difficult to do that probably especially in times of transition or struggle or hardship. And we need the encouragement, all the encouragement that we can get from Scripture to remind us of who Jesus is and what He is like, that He is the supreme Lord and sufficient Savior. To help us do that, to help us see clearly through the mist, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20 a wonderful hymn of praise to the supremacy of the Son of God. Let me read the passage to you to begin with. This is Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What a wonderful hymn of praise. What a, what a beautiful, incredible picture of the greatness of Jesus, the Son of God. And we're going to suggest six reasons from these verses for why we should keep our eyes on Jesus. Six truths to help us with keeping our eyes on him. Truth number one, it's because of Jesus that you and I exist. It's because of Jesus that you exist. That's maybe not the first thing you think of when you think about the importance of Jesus. You might think about what Jesus has done for us on the cross, about the forgiveness of sins, about the new relationship we have with God because of him. But actually, this passage begins by declaring that it's because of Jesus that you and I exist. The Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter, declares, verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So therefore, verse 16, it's because of Jesus that you and I exist. All things were created in Him and through Him and for Him. All things. That means that everything that has ever been created was created by God the Father through Jesus and for Jesus, including you and me. Some people today, of course, think that Jesus was just a great moral teacher. He wasn't really God, just a special human. At the time of the early church when Paul was writing, there were those who taught that Jesus was just a created heavenly being, a lesser God. But Paul in these verses tells us that no, Jesus the Son is fully God. All the fullness of God dwells in Him, verse 19. In fact, he says that everything that has ever been created was created in him and through him and for him. All created things came into existence through the Son. God the Son is not a created being. Rather, he is the author of creation. The same idea is expressed in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The word, God the Son, was there in the beginning, even when time began. God the Son has always existed and will always exist. He was in existence even before the incarnation and the birth of baby Jesus. For all eternity past and all eternity future, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed and will exist in perfect relationship and oneness. They're without beginning, without end. And so when we read in verse 15 that the Son is the firstborn over all creation, that's not intended to mean that He was the first created being, but rather that He has the rights and status of the firstborn Son. All creation belongs to Him. The Son of God is totally superior to anything and everyone else, anything that has ever been created. And once, once we get that straight in our heads, then the next thing to realize is that everything 
other than God was created. In the beginning, there was only God, and God brought into being everything else, absolutely everything else. When scientists today and, and, and teachers in school are, are talking about the world and how it came into being, they, they nearly always mean, they're, they're nearly always talking about the physical world, the, the atoms, the molecules, the elements, the chemicals, the rocks. But actually, Paul's understanding of creation is even bigger than that. The Son of God not only created the physical world with its planets and galaxies, but also the spiritual world with its powers and authorities. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. There is nothing that has been created that did not come into existence through Jesus. It was created through Him. It was also created for Him. God the Father planned creation for the benefit of His Son. That's the goal of creation. Everything was made for Jesus, that He might be the firstborn over all creation. In other words, that He might rule over all. One of the, the phrases that, we, that is sometimes used of Christ is that He is preeminent over creation. He is before all things, as we read at the start of verse 17. He is superior to everything and everyone else. Given all the, the secular pressures today to, re, to uh, reject the existence of God and popular movements like New Atheism, it seems that we're up against it as Christians and clinging to a belief in God when we're being taught Darwinism at school or watching nature programs on TV. The, the underlying assumption is, is nearly always that this scientific theory dispenses with the need for a creator God. But this passage helps us, keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus and means that, that whatever is discovered about the processes and laws of science, behind it all lies the one through whom all things were made. I, I don't know exactly how God brought creation about. I, I don't know how much of the current scientific theories are a description of, of God's creation, creative act of action. But I do know that it is through the Lord Jesus that all things on earth and in heaven were made, both the visible and the invisible. And no matter how much secularists and atheists deny it, all things have been created through Him and for Him. You and I exist because of Jesus. Truth number two, it's because of Jesus that you continue to exist. You and I continue to exist because of Jesus. If Jesus as our creator was not sufficient reason for humility before him, then certainly the realization that Jesus is the reason we continue to exist really ought to be. <laughs> These atheists who are 
busy denying God, have, have, have no realization that the only reason they are still alive and can continue to think and write books is because Jesus preserves their life, preserves all our lives. That's what verse 17 says. We're told verse 17 that He, Jesus, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I was in St. Andrews during the week for a meeting, and I stopped at the edge of the West Sands, a beautiful beach, but rather empty and windswept at this time of the year. And I was thinking about how the wind and the rain just comes in and, and wipes away all traces of those summer activities. Uh, the holes that were dug, uh, the sandcastles that were built, the, the sea barriers that were made, they're all wiped away. For, of course, there's, there's nothing much holding the sand grains together in a sandcastle. It doesn't take a lot of wind or rain for the castle to collapse and the sand to be leveled. It just falls apart. In terms of our world, though, what holds our world together is Jesus, verse 17. It's His sustaining power that keeps the universe in existence. As we read in Hebrews 1, verse 3, the Son sustains all things by His powerful Word. Colossians 1, verse 17 here, in Him all things hold together. When I think about that from a scientific point of view, I, I think that means that God the Son keeps the laws of physics operational, the law of gravity that, that keeps our, our planets in motion, the law of electromagnetic attraction or conservation of mass energy or the forces that bind the nuclear particles and quarks together. Newton and, and Einstein and other great scientists like them worked on the assumption that there was a supreme being giving order to the universe. And as a Christian, I believe that's right. God sustains the laws of physics by His mighty hand. But actually, I wonder if these verses mean more than that. This is, after all, the God who created all things out of nothing. Maybe what the Bible means here is that without the sustaining Word of God the Son, then not only would everything fall apart, but everything would cease to exist. I'm not sure. But at the very least, if Jesus stopped holding all things together, then at the very least, your body, my body, would disintegrate into chaos. The elements would fall apart. The universe would dissolve if God withdrew His hand. That is how great Jesus is. And it's very good reason to keep our eyes on Jesus. It puts everything else into perspective. Success or failure in exams promotion at work, accumulating possessions, popularity among friends. These things are never as important as being in relationship with the one who sustains the universe and holds all things in His mighty hand. Because of Jesus, you and I continue to exist. Truth number three, 
It's because of Jesus that you can know God. Because of Jesus, you and I know God. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. No one has ever seen God, says John in the opening chapter of his gospel, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. And Jesus Himself in John 14 verse 9 says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Many of us today take for granted the fact that we can connect to a wireless network and get connected to the internet. We take out our iPad or our phone and we connect to the network in our home or in the cafe. But for many of us, it's, it's difficult to understand how that actually works. I can't see anything. There are no wires. It's invisible. It's difficult to understand something that you can't actually see. The same is true about our relationship with God. Because God is spirit, it's just not the same as talking to the person sitting next to you. Yes, God is present, but we can't see what height He is or whether He's looking at us or what He's actually doing. There are no visual clues as to whether He's listening. We relate to Him by faith. And we relate to Him in particular because of what we know about Jesus. Jesus, in His incarnation, became the visible, physical image of God. He became the visible image of the invisible God, as verse 15 tells us. So, it's by looking at Him that we understand what God is like. He has, in effect, made the Father visible to us through His earthly life and teaching. And therefore, although Jesus has now returned to heaven, what we read about Him in the pages of the Bible and our understanding of how He fulfills the whole of Scripture means that we continue to see God clearly. We truly know God because of Jesus, which means that that is another reason to keep our eyes on Him. By looking to Jesus, by reading about Him, by thinking about the things He says, by by learning about Him and His mission in the pages of the Bible, learning about Jesus, we keep focusing on Him because God's nature and being is perfectly revealed in Him. It's because of Jesus that you and I know God. Truth number four, it's because of Jesus that you have peace with God. You and I have peace with God. And now we're back on familiar territory for many of us. The gospel message is that through Christ and His death on the cross, we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God. Once we were God's enemies, uh, rebellious, creatures going our own way, living in hostility to His rules. But now through Jesus, our sins are forgiven and, and we are no longer facing God's righteous anger. Verse 19, 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And I know it's familiar, but it's, it's worth thinking about again this morning. Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. We're, we're going to be remembering that and celebrating that in communion in a few minutes' time. That is perhaps the main reason why it's worth fixing your eyes on him. Maybe for the first time, if, if you've not done so before, looking to him for forgiveness. If you're not yet a Christian, asking Jesus to, to deal with your sin and get you right with God again. It's not a pleasant thing to be in conflict with another person, even less so to be in conflict with God, your Creator. Look to Jesus to give you peace with God. I wonder if you know the story of the people of Israel wandering around in the desert, and they were sinning and grumbling against God, and God allowed them to be attacked by poisonous snakes. And these snakes came in among the camp, and the people were being bitten by them and, and dying because of the poison. And the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we grumbled against the Lord. Please pray to the Lord and that he'll take away these snakes from us. And so Moses prayed for the people and, and God told him to make a bronze snake and to put it on a pole, raising it up in the middle of the camp. And God said that anyone who looked at this bronze snake would live, a sort of symbol of looking to God and God's provision. In some ways, it's a bit of a strange story. I, I always wonder, it, it, wasn't it sort of encouraging idolatry, the worship of a cast image? But actually, I don't think so. The bronze snake was a reminder of their failure and their need of God's help and provision. And ultimately, of course, the symbol pointed forward to Jesus on the cross. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so was the Son of Man lifted up on the cross. And it's as we raise our eyes to Jesus on the cross that we too are saved. We look to Him. We raise our spiritual eyes to Him. Not that he's on the cross anymore, but we raise our eyes to the Lord who is still the, the source of our, of our healing from sin, the risen Lord Jesus, the ascended Lord. Maybe if you're not a Christian, you could do that for the first time. And if you are a Christian, maybe reflect on the last week. What sins have you struggled with? Where have you failed? Where do you need Jesus' help afresh? Thank God again for the forgiveness that we have found through Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, experience again God's peace. We'll think about that as we celebrate communion in a few minutes. Number five, because of Jesus you belong to the church. 
Because of Jesus, you and I belong to the church. Just look at verse 18 with me. We read, and he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. Not only is God the Son head over creation, but he is head of the church in particular. The church is his body. He sets the direction. He plans the course. He decides the future for his people. And so, therefore, we have another reason to keep our eyes on him. I know you're without a a pastor at the moment, but as I'm sure you're aware, pastors, ministers are not the most important people in a church. Neither are the, the deacons or the youth leaders or whoever else might hold a prominent position. In this church, Christ is, or at least he ought to be, the most important person. It should be him that we're all looking to. It's because of Jesus that we even have a church to belong to. He bought the church at a price. He shed his blood to purchase and redeem a people for himself. It's because of Jesus that your sins, my sins, are forgiven and that you and I have been adopted into God's family. You are one of God's people, his universal church. And it's because of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit that there is, even is a Baptist church in Airdrie that you can be part of. It's His church. He is building it. I know churches have their problems, but actually churches are incredible. What other organization draws people from every imaginable background and, and causes them to relate to one another with love? What other organization gives you brothers and sisters around the world? A while ago, I was uh, reading some thank you letters at the back of the Kirky Baptist Church magazine. And I think they give me a fresh glimpse into what an amazing thing the church is. I'm sure it's true of this church here as well. But here are, here are a few things that people at KBC had written. We'd like to express our sincere appreciation for the support, thoughts, and prayers of the church family. Or, we were overwhelmed by the love and practical support of the church family. Or here's another one. We would like to say a huge thank you to everyone for their cards, flowers, phone calls, and more importantly, prayers during the last few weeks. We've been overwhelmed by people's kindness, care, and concern. The church, the body of Christ, is a wonderful thing, especially when it's working well. But being an active member of a local church and knowing what actions will result in a healthy and loving church requires us, though, to keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the head of the church. It's a bit like when they're playing rugby and there's going to be a line-out. The Six Nations Championship, again, starts in in a couple of weeks with all the rivalry between the different nations. And uh, you'll maybe see a match or two on TV. And you know when they they throw the ball into the line and there's a prearranged plan for who the ball's going to, but the team keep their eyes on the person throwing the ball. They watch carefully for the exact timing. 
In a similar way, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus through the Bible, through the Spirit's prompting, so that we know His guiding and timing for how we operate as individuals within the church, what we should be doing to serve one another, but also so that we know how we should be journeying together as a church, what God would have us do in terms of ministry. But it still comes back to this. It's because of Jesus that you and I belong to the church. And then finally, number six, there are hints in this passage of this last truth. It's because of Jesus that you belong to the world to come. It's because of Jesus that you belong to the world to come. We're told in verse 18 that Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. In other words, Jesus was the first to rise to eternal life. He is the greatest of all those who will rise from the dead, but he's also the first to have done it, the first to have been given a resurrection body. And because of him and his resurrection, we know that we too will rise from the dead. One day, if you're a Christian, you will be given a resurrection body and you will be brought to live in God's renewed creation. Verse 20 hints at something similar. It says, verse 20, that God reconciled to himself all things through Jesus, whether things on earth or things in heaven. In Romans chapter 8, we read how creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And that one day creation will be liberated from its bondage of decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's because Jesus in his death on the cross dealt with the evil not only in our lives but also with the effects of evil within creation itself. In Jesus, God reconciled the whole of creation to himself. And so, one day, this world will be renewed or remade, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which there will no longer be any evil or sin. And because of Jesus, you and I will belong in that renewed creation. We will belong to the world to come. And for me, in the ups and downs of life, that's, that's really what keeps me going. When things are tough, keeping our eyes on Jesus means recognizing that not all problems will be solved in this world. Some things about life now are hard. There are disappointments and frustrations. There, there are tears of longing and regret. But Jesus promises to one day take us to be with Him forever in a perfect home, a new heavens and earth in which we truly belong. No more sorrow. No more tears. Because of Jesus, you and I belong to the world to come. To return to the illustration at the start, Life for the Christian in this world often feels like walking around in the mist, in the fog. There are, are so many things that get in the way 
of us fixing our attention on Jesus. So many things that can distract us or obscure our vision. But it, it's, it's foolish to willingly let that happen. And so may we make every effort to bring our eyes back onto Jesus. Because after all, Jesus is the supreme Lord over all creation. He is the all-sufficient Savior who gives us peace with God and guarantees our place among God's people for all eternity. It's because of Jesus that you exist. Because of Jesus that you continue to exist. It's because of Jesus that you know God and have peace with Him. Because of Jesus that you belong to the church. And because of Jesus that you belong to the world to come. Whatever this week holds for you, whether it's good or bad, whether you're enjoying retirement or working in an office or attending school or, or simply based at home, fix your eyes on Jesus. Let Him be the one who determines what you believe, how you react, what you're concerned about. Again and again, turn your spiritual eyes to Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we turn our eyes to You. We look full in your wonderful face. And so may the things of this earth, the distractions and the things that so easily entangle us, may they grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Amen.